Hey, if we've never met, my name is Scott, and I'm really glad to be with you today. Uh, And a fun fact about me is, though, despite being a lifelong college basketball fan and having filled out March Madness brackets for many years, I have never actually won a bracket pool. I've I've never actually done it. I mean, in fact, um, one of the things uh, that is true in in my my family of four, there is uh, my wife, Amber, and our two daughters, one who is a junior, one who is an eighth grader. For years now, just as a fun thing, we have filled out like the March Madness bracket. What I'm referring to, if you do not know, is that there's a college basketball tournament that happens this time of year, and, and teams are ranked from 1 to 16 and put in these pods, and and, and like you, you get to guess at the beginning. It like shakes out for you to kind of guess who wins. It's kind of a fun thing to do as a family. And the way our, our like bet is like you get to choose dinner. You get to choose like our next takeout meal following the tournament. You get to choose like where we get it or where we go. And, and like now there's a sliding scale in my household of college basketball viewing and consumption. And I would fall on the side that is like probably consumes the most of those things. And then like kind of a sliding scale to like no interest at all. And the irony of this bracket challenge, and this is what makes like Sue from your office pool or Jim who doesn't even know what a basketball is but wins your bracket challenge every year, what makes it fun is is that like essentially like all of the things that are kind of scripted, like the script just gets ripped up when they start playing these games, right? Like underdogs routinely win, the variables of like, Who's got more experience? It's just kind of crazy. In my household, the person who is routinely the one that wins is the person that has no interest in this sport at all. But like until it's time for the next time to like come and get her, get like her, okay, where do I, where do I feel like eating? Like, okay, I think I will fill out this bracket. Thank you very much. And, and here's the dynamic. Here's like the, the whole illustration is really setting up. Is, is that one of the things that the, the, the NCAA tournament points to is, is like, like the, the projected power dynamics, right? The, this is the number one seed. This is the better team. This is the stronger one is exposed when they actually have to walk out onto the court and play the game. Right? Like, and then that's something that plays out for you, whether you like basketball or not. Like, some area of your life, like, there's this group of people who are sort of told, like, this is what it means to be successful. And then they have to walk out and sort of show it. And it's like, doesn't quite make the, the, the difference that it was supposed to make. Right? And this is what we're looking at in the ministry of Jesus. This is what we're paying attention to in these weeks leading up to Easter. That there's these definitions of power and how the world is supposed to work that you and I and all of us have just sort of adopted. It's somewhere in us. It's the air we breathe. It's the water we drink. This is what it means to be successful. This is what it means to be someone. This is what it means to make it. This is what it means to to be in. And how Jesus, in Jesus' ministry, both in the things Jesus said and talked about, but also who he hung out with, and the thing he ultimately aimed to overcome, what they all point to is a different way to see power, to see it in the kingdom of God, 
to see it in our own relationships to one another and how, how we, we do power differently because of what Jesus has done in our story. And even what that power made available from God, it, it changes maybe in even our own relationship between God and ourselves. That's what we're paying attention to. So we've looked at the baptism of Jesus and what that had to do with it. We paid attention to how Jesus was wandering through the desert for 40 days and had all kinds of opportunities just to kind of snap um, with just a snap of a finger, basically make everything super easy for himself. And he said, no, no, we're not going to do it that way. Uh, we looked last week at how Jesus was like in his first public words, you know, coming out of that desert time, basically announced like who was going to be on the roster, who was going to be on the team kingdom of God. And it was going to be, who is this kingdom for? And it wasn't the most educated, it wasn't the, the, the most popular in every room, it wasn't the ones who had on, on, on paper the most earthly definitions of success, or if we attach it to the March Madness analogy, it wasn't the one seeds. It, it, was, it was an upside-down picture. And now we're going to take a look at Jesus' most famous sermon, the first 12 verses of it, and, and just let it teach us further what, what this this power thing that Jesus is coming to usher in really looks like. Okay, so Matthew chapter 5, we're going to read verses 1 through 12. Now, we're just going to read the opening of the sermon. Jesus' introduction. I, I, in my introduction, I just told you a dumb story about how I never win bracket challenges. Jesus comes in a lot hotter than that. And, and, and thankfully, right? So, so I'm not going to preach a better sermon than Jesus did here. And we're just going to look at Jesus' intro because it's so rich. It's so dense for us and so powerful for us. And this picture of what it means to be in, to be a success, to be someone, to, to really think about power well. Okay? Matthew chapter 5, picking up in verse 1, reading through verse 12, this is what it says. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you." So yeah, there's a little more density there than my inane story about the NCAA tournament bracket, my inability to win it. This opening section where Jesus challenges us to think about a good life, the picture of well-being, is something for us to think about and consider and wrestle with today. But I want to do that through a couple of questions that the, tests, that the text asks us to consider that may challenge a little bit of the assumptions that we walked up the steps or we logged online today carrying about what it means to be someone, what it, what it really means to wield power well. And to let Jesus' opening words in the Sermon on the Mount challenge and encourage 
where it may fit or land for us. So I just, I, our hope today is that we can slow down and let our mind and our bodies and our, our to-do lists kind of like go to the wayside. Our minds and bodies kind of catch up with one another so that we can, we can ask good questions of this text this morning. I think the first question the text asks us to consider is what should a kingdom look like? What should a kingdom look like? I want you to imagine for a moment that you are in charge of a company of your choosing that is, is making, you know, even if you're going to bring back something that like is kind of a, like you're going to make used bookstores like the penultimate thing in the economy, right? Like you're going to make, everyone's going to love a good used bookstore because you're going to start the coolest used bookstore chain ever. I don't know. Like you're going to make vinyl shops great again. Uh, you know, you're going to do something that like, even just at a very niche thing. And I want you to think for a minute about like, to lead that business well, the kind of people you would need. Whatever that thing is, the kind of thing you've aimed to do, the kind of people that you would need to, to be successful in, in Baltimore in 2023, to be able to regionalize it, maybe open places in Philly and D.C., maybe, maybe a cool like niche shop in Queens, you know, something, something just to say that you're in New York City, you know, you got to get that into. Like you are conquering I-95 in the name of this really super cool concept that you've come up with. Who are the kinds of people that you would need to like round out a roster of people to do that well? My guess is that it's not some of the people who are listed here. That it's not the people who are poor in spirit, man, because they just are not great with the customer, right? Or, or it's not the people who are mourning because it's, it's really difficult to kind of, when you have to bring that into work, you know, it kind of gets a little bit messy. Um, you know, that's, and not the meek. You might say, you know, I really need a go-getter. I really need someone that can walk into a room and kind of take it over. I really need someone who's kind of the alpha, you might say to yourself, you know, I really want someone who's hungry and, and thirsty for success. I mean, they really want to make it. They really want to get somewhere. Not the people who are going to call you out for the, the, the things that you are doing that maybe feel like a little unethical or a little bit gross or a little bit like, well, it's not really cheating. It's just kind of how we do things around here. You wouldn't probably want a person who's taking all of the profits and, and giving them to the guys that are outside the store asking for money. You would be challenged by the people who are more interested in like making sure all your colleagues and coworkers are getting along and thriving rather than like focusing on the customer, right? Like, like you, you get what I'm saying. Like there's a, there's, a, there's a standard bill of like kind of the right man for the job, the right woman for the job, the right person for the job that like if, if, if everything is just moving up and to the right, if it's just about an earthly picture of success, there's a lot of things Jesus talked about here that like get in the way of earthly pictures of success, of success right? Like they just do. And, and, and in the first century, Jesus has got plenty of like it, cultural influences to kind of hold side by side, right? There's the, there's the economy of Herod and the way Herod does things, which is largely just taking care of Herod. And no one else matters if Herod's good. There's the Roman Empire, which for all of its like trappings and awesomeness and all the things it's doing to like, like advance medicine and technology and mathematics and thought, it's often what both of those share in common. For all of the ways Herod doesn't like Rome and Rome doesn't like Herod, they share something in common. 
that the way they continue to grow and expand and be awesome is on the backs of people like the one Jesus is talking about, right? The people who are poor in spirit, who are often being exploited by Herod. The people who, who, who may be uh, vulnerable in some particular way. The people, the people who, in, in Roman standards and practices, do not fit like the, the position of privilege. Like these are the people you use to build your empire. And you know, Jesus is saying, you now hold on a minute, hold on a minute. What we're not doing here, what this kingdom is not about, is, is about who we can leverage to, to be an earthly picture of success, but, but rather what the kingdom of God looks like, what this economy looks like, the way God is viewing the, the things around us is, is that the people that the, 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 the empires of this world will leave out and other or chew up or get left behind because of grief or suffering they're dealing with. No, no, they're the ones who will actually get and receive what, what this kingdom that Jesus is talking about. They're the ones that will actually receive it. They'll really understand it better than all of the people that are just focused on earthly definitions of success and power. Like there's not really, I mean, just like Jesus doesn't like fit into the neat categories, right, of, of, of how you become a success in this world. There's not a single line Jesus mentions that gives like a, a you know, a, a great picture of, of uh, what, it, what an earthly kingdom should look like, right? There's no, oh, we'll build a great military and, and, and build a great economy and, and think about these tribes and think about these nations and how we build those things, the people mentioned by Jesus are often the ones who get exploited by things like that, right? So one of the things we paid attention to this week, if, we were, if you're fasting along with us, we asked you to pay attention to consumption. We asked you to pay attention to those areas of your life where you just like, out of convenience, just go, well, I don't have it, but I need it right now, so I put it in my Amazon cart, and then there's, it just magically shows up on my doorstep. Like, like 24 hours later. And, I, and we often, in the name of that expedience and convenience, don't ask questions about where did it come from, who was mistreated so that it arrived on our doorstep by that particular time, who, who you know, like we, the, 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 the big, you know, Google, Google all the stuff that goes into making your phone awesome, and you can see that in the process of a phone being conveniently in your pocket, doing all the things it does— that there are people, potentially, that have been hurt by those things. And we don't like to think about that. And, and I wasn't going to suggest that seven days of not filling your Amazon cart and instantly gratifying yourself was going to solve all of the exploitation in the world. But one of the things we wanted to pay attention to, at the very least, was like, huh, well, it, it, you know, but like, I, like, I like the cost of these clothes because I can afford them. Yeah, but why can you afford them? And what if you waited a little bit? Or what if you didn't say yes all the time, right? Like, this is the thing that we were starting to think through. Why? Because in the name of building, like, a simple, awesome, and convenient life for ourselves, there are often other people who are harmed by that. And this is what Jesus is talking about. It's like, hey, the people who are often harmed by that kind of approach, the people who— um, the people who, like, this, this positioning of a good life often leaves out, like, these are the guys over here that have a sense of what my kingdom has come to do. And the people over here that are just very comfortable and cozy, I want to challenge them to think differently 
about what success and power actually look like. You know, one of the things that we often will pay attention to and, and, and know is, right, it's not, it's not a secret to us that, like, um, our politics in our country like to take the name of Jesus and make it fit into their neat, tidy, like, platforms, right? And, and actually, it's one of the things that if we're, if we're dealing with people who are not followers of Jesus, that they find kind of gross, and, and I think Jesus would too, right? Like he, he would because, because any time, right? Because like, here's the reality. We can, we, can, we can build a platform. We can say, well, this is who this party's for and this is what this party's about. But in practice, but in practice, in the real life, who, is it, who does it leave out? Who does it, who does it benefit? Who does it leave behind? My guess is every, every political party this side of heaven fails to fully achieve its desired platform, right? And, and so the danger, the danger for us when we make politics our God and the politics are, and then we bring Jesus in and goes, well, Jesus approves of my politics is we take a passage like the Beatitudes and we go, now hold, a minute, hold on a minute. There's a whole lot of people that Jesus is talking about here who are, who are, who are being called blessed, but that maybe are not, being thought about in this platform, right? So it's a challenge for us to step back and say, hey, we just cling to the empires of this world, their comfort, their power. And Jesus goes, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm not ushering in like a, ni- a nice, tidy, Christianized version of your political party. I'm trying to help you think through a new way to see all of this, all of this picture of success, all of this picture of what it means to make it. Are you paying attention? Can you receive it? Or are we just so blinded by like our allegiances to comfort and ease and, and, and like the, the, just, just the pace of like, oh, what it means to be somebody in the world around me. So Jesus also then challenges what a picture of well-being is, right? So let's, let's think for a minute. What is the repeated line in the Beatitudes? What's the word that gets thrown out over and over and over again? This is not rhetorical. Blessed, right? Blessed, if you like to go churchy with your language, blessed or blessed, right? And I know, like, from slang perspective, blessed had a moment. The moment has passed. Like, there was a moment, you know, five years ago where we could say hashtag blessed, and we could make a really coolly branded sermon series, and we would be, we would be so in with, like, the, the, the slang of the moment. Now, that's, like, so five years ago. That was, like, even, like, a pre-COVID kind of slang moment. But, but what does blessed mean in our, in our culture? Blessed means, you know, like, favorable, right? Good things happening, like, happy and, and Jesus, in his time, has got a picture of blessed that probably doesn't fit as neatly and tidily into that picture of what hashtag blessed represented, though it's not as far off from it as I think you might think it is. Like, it's not just monetary gain, but it is a sense of well-being. Jesus is giving us a sense of, of like, where well-being lies. Now, I think he talks about two things here that I think are really important in this idea of power that are important for us to understand about the sense of well-being, right? Because my guess is you woke up this morning and, like, you want to have a good day. My guess is you woke up this morning and you're like, man, I want to have a good life. I want things to, like, line up me. I would love a little bit of well-being. My guess is there's someone in your life 
who's like coming to you and, and helping, hey, help me sort out these confusion things I'm going through, the things I don't know a lot about. Like, I want well-being in my story. My guess is, even if you wouldn't use the phrase well-being, right, you would go, yeah, I want things to work out. Jesus attached, attacks our, our sense of well-being in two areas, I think, that are good for us to consider. Number one, it, by saying, hey, pay attention to where this word blessed shows up for a minute. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the filled. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Blessed are you when they insult you, persecute you. Like, like there's never a moment where Jesus says, blessed are the people who spend their life obsessing over what it means to be blessed. Not blessed for those who are hungry and thirsty just to be happy. Like, that's not the crowd that gets it. But one of the things, I, you know, our, our comfort and our sense of, like, the, the conveniences of our life will often lead us to is the belief that, like, what, what well-being looks like for us is just a sense of happiness. Right? I just want to be happy. And, like, there's a sense, like, as a friend, you go, yeah, man, I get that. But one of the things Jesus is often attacking, he's not, he's not trying to get us to like walk around and be sad all the time, but rather to say, if you try only to chase happiness in life, you will arrive at the one thing that thinks that you will make, well, I'll be happy when I get this. And then guess what? The target will move. Like, and it will never stop moving. Like, I mean, I'm, I, I just turned 43 this week. I am not ashamed to say that into a microphone. And like, th okay, so that's cool. I've spent most of my 40s dealing with COVID, right? Like, th that was the first, that, that's, what, that's what this really pays attention to. But here's one of the things that, I, you know, if you had asked me at 15, like, oh, what will make you happy? It's a very different thing than when you ask me at 25. And when you ask me at 33, and you ask me at 43, right? It's always shifting. It's always changing. Sometimes for the good, sometimes for the not so good. And what Jesus is inviting us to consider is that maybe we are pretty terrible at identifying what we think will actually make us happy. Like there's a, there's a book actually called Don't Trust Your Gut that came out a few years ago. And then the whole premise of the book, this guy's like a, a mathematician and, a, and a, one of those guys that like gets really analytical about sports nerd stuff. And he's like, actually being a fan of a sports team makes your life miserable. Like you think it makes your life awesome, right? It's, it's hanging out with people. It's, it's getting together before the game. And his point in that, that particular chapter is like just to enjoy sport. Like, I like generically to watch the sport of basketball, or I like generically to watch people golf or play golf. Like, yes, adds to your happiness. To have a favorite golfer, to have a favorite sports team, is largely just an invitation to be miserable all the time, is like the premise of his research. Why? Because you emotionally invest. Here's the point. There's a lot of stuff that you are convinced today will make you happy, that will actually, if you, if you pursue it, will just add to that sense of emptiness, right? And so Jesus is giving us this sense that blessed, the blessed are those who are not spending all of their time obsessing with this very Western idea of happiness, right? That's something for us to consider as it relates to our power, how we spend our money, how we spend our time, 
right? Like, like it, it, for those of you who are in this room, and there are some of you who said, hey, I'm not going to a, on a cruise this week. I'm coming to cold Baltimore to serve the Lord and people in our city this week. There's a group from, from Indianapolis that's here to do that this week. It, it's, it's say, hey, that, that doesn't on paper make a lot of sense compared to tropical climates, but what Jesus, you know, and what I think, what I think will bear out is to say like, hey, when you like show up ready to serve and, and to pour yourself out for other people, there's something cool that's going to happen like in, what, in your story this week. And it's not that it's not going to happen for the people that went on a different vacation, but it's to say, hey, when we don't spend our life just obsessing over what's going to make us happy, then Jesus goes, we actually will experience happiness. We hunger and thirst for righteousness. The kingdom of God and what's right, restoring relationship between myself and God, myself and other people, um, having a healthy view of myself, not too high, not too low of myself because of who God has made me to be. Like it's out of that stuff that'll get a sense of what it really means to be blessed. But then I think there's another invitation behind this conversation about well-being. And I don't know if you've ever felt this pressure or if I'm the only one. But one of the pressures I know I feel when it comes to a sense of well-being that the, that the Sermon on the Mount, particularly the Beatitudes, is attacking, is the idea that I just have to pretend that life is good. That I just have to pretend that it's okay, right? Like there's no questions in my life, that there's no grief in my life, that hashtag blessed means that even if something terrible happened this week and I got the new, worst news, like I'm just supposed to walk in here and like sing the songs and, and just smile and pretend that life's okay. And, and if the phrases of blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are, don't stand out to you, then I, just, I would hope that this morning we can slow down and really receive the invitation here. The invitation here is that we don't have to keep pretending we don't have to keep pretending that life is perfect and pretty. One of the things we're paying attention to this week in terms of our fast, like the, that we're doing, is, is gluttony. And, and really, that's just kind of a code word for all the areas where we're tempted to escape hard and heavy feelings. Right? What are all the areas where you're just like, man, I don't want to have to grieve. I don't want to have to think about what it means to do the right thing. I don't want to think about what it means to show mercy. Like, I, I, just want to, I just want to numb myself, right? Like, there's probably some area in your life that, that where you kind of go to, and it's just, what, is it, what would it look like this week to reframe that? To, to see the invitation for well-being is in that upside-down kingdom of God to say, hey, what would it look like for, for you to invite God into your grief? Even if it means you're praying some things that you're not sure you're allowed to say to God. What would it look like to say, hey, maybe this week isn't about what I, I, what I can spend my money on, but, but who I can invest in. How could my resources this week go to, to being a blessing to those who don't have extra, who don't have enough, right? Paying attention to these things. Diane Langberg says it this way. She said, blessed are we when we are not ruled by our deceptions about power, accomplishments, possessions, or about race, hierarchy, position, and praise. We are blessed when we do the will of our Father and from that place mourn over our sins and those of others. We are humble, seeking God's thoughts about all the things we've believed that are in fact deceptions. When we hunger and thirst, rejecting anything that is unlike God. We are merciful servants to the suffering. We are pure in heart. Our hearts are undivided in obedience to the Father. 
We are not seeking a pure theology, a pure race, or the appearance of purity. The only purity we are seeking is a heart governed by the Lord Christ. Now, here is the practical reality of that beautiful statement. You run pretty fast, you run pretty hard, and there are so many things being asked or demanded of you that I think it's really difficult to even slow down and be in touch with where we really are. Maybe I'm the only one. But like, I often don't know how I'm feeling. I often don't know what false pictures of well-being I've adopted because if I'm honest, I'm often running so fast and just reacting to the things that are being thrown at me. I'm just playing dodgeball, right? Dodgeball with family drama, dodgeball with city stuff, dodgeball with political nonsense, dodgeball. Like, and if this moment can be holy ground for you, here's, here's what I would, just, would just invite us to think about and consider as we move to a time of communion. If we let our head and our heart and our body like catch up with one another for a minute and say, God, this is where I really am. Am I invited? If this is where I really am, am I invited? If this is where my heart is, can, can I really be in this room? And if we go back and we read, we find the answer to this. Bless or the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I, I, the invitation for us to consider this morning is just to, to see who qualifies for such a kingdom like this. And again, what Jesus is challenging it is that it's not just all the people who on paper seem to have all of their stuff together, but the people who are willing to admit this is all of the ways where I feel like I've adopted false definitions of power or I've been stepped on by all of the powers that are going on in this world. Robert Bly says it this way. He says, where a man's wound is, there his genius will be. Wherever the wound appears in our psyches, whether from an alcoholic father, shaming mother, whether it stems from isolation, disability, or disease, that is precisely the place for which we will give our major gift to the community. What's he saying? What's he saying is, what he's saying is, the key for us to really see and receive God's definitions of power is to slow down and admit the areas with which we are powerless. Or where we have felt the grief of just it's so hard to deal with these people, it's so hard to deal with this world, it's so hard to deal with this uncertainty. And what this meal we call communion is a reminder of is, is that if you feel like just the world is throwing things at you left and right, that there is a safe table to slow down, 
to let your mind and your body and your heart catch up with one another and to really receive how the love of God wants to hit your story, how it wants to speak to your anxiety, how it wants to speak to your depression, how it wants to speak to your spiritual questions, how it wants to speak to the shame that you feel, and how it wants to reframe those things so that we might walk as followers of Jesus being a picture of the very kingdom and the very people God set out to to make this kingdom available to. So this moment in our service is just intended to slow us down a little bit and to be reminded that you've been invited to receive this kingdom. But to walk toward that kingdom is to walk away from a lot of things that may be feeding false definitions of power or maybe the very things beating you up. <laughs> to, to walk to one of our four stations this morning and to receive bread and cup is to say, God, let this be the source of, of how I see life. Let this be the source of how I see definitions of what it means to really be blessed. And the invitation for you is to receive that this morning. I'll pray for us. And as you're ready, you can walk to one of those four stations and, and, and to receive bread and cup and, and, and ask God to help you carry through his spirit like all of the stuff you're facing and dealing with. Or if you want, just be still and let yourself kind of get a sense of even what you're really wrestling with. Let me pray for us and we'll move to a time of communion. God, um, without really thinking about it, just walking in the world, dealing with social media, hearing the news, doing the things normal people do day in and day out, we have adopted some pictures of what it means to be a success, some pictures of what it means to be blessed that are actually harmful. They're harmful to us. They're harmful to the world. They're harmful to people we actually want to love and serve. Would you help us to see this morning the beauty behind this invitation? And would you help us to walk in it? To like really walk in it and receive what it is you're offering. God, would you help us to respond? whether it's to call you Lord for the first time, to find encouragement, to pray the prayer we, we actually don't want to pray. God, I just pray in this moment over this meal, you would help us to receive the reality that we're not alone and that you know better what it is that we need. Help us to walk in it. In the name of Jesus, amen.